It's the Nittany No Huddle Podcast from the Nittany No Huddle Studios. Here with Zach Rice and Devin Whitfield. Uh, we're going to be discussing the Penn State versus Indiana game, and then we're going to go through our top 25 and the rest of the craziness of college football. So let's uh, kick it off with Penn State versus Indiana. Um, just an all-around good performance. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Devin. You can start us off, kind of go through... We'll start with the offense, then we'll transition to defense, and we'll just kind of talk about the game as a whole and work through there. So if you want to top us off, Devin. Yeah, so changing it up a little bit this week, trying something different. Um, let's focus first on Penn State's offense. Uh, obviously, they won the game 24-0. to zero. Uh, Pretty solid overall performance, put up 408 yards of total offense, rushed for a season-high 209 yards. Um, and we'll talk first about Sean Clifford, who went 17 for 33 for 178 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. So Sean entered the game at about 72% completion percentage-wise, so only going 17 for 33, just slightly over 50% was a little disappointing. I thought on the prime time against a Big Ten opponent might be his um, chance to really shine and have a good coming-out party. He also had that one interception that was just – it looked like Sean Clifford from last year or even two years ago just stared down Parker Washington the whole way, did not see that safety at all, and just kind of threw it right into his hands. Um, so, Zach, what were your thoughts on on Clifford's performance? Yeah, I thought he was a little a little bit more up and down than we've seen this year. I still think – I'm not too concerned. I think there was a lot, a lot of good, a lot to take away. Completion percentage, I guess, is a little bit lower than you'd like to see. You mentioned a couple drops. Uh, Indiana also did a decent job of getting some pressure. Again, I still think from an O-line standpoint, it was good from a pass protection standpoint, I should say. Uh, but there was some there was some occasions where whether it was Indiana just got there early or the secondary held up and nobody was open and Clifford had to flush out of the pocket. So he was on the move a lot. And actually, one thing I kept noting during the game was he was at his best, and I think he's kind of been at his best all year uh, when he's rolling out of the rolling out of the pocket and he's flushed and making things happen. Frankly, he's had probably his best plays of the year are, are ones where he's throwing the ball just as he's like right at the line of scrimmage, and it makes you nervous. Like, is he is he over the line? Um, which is just so different from what we've seen um, the last couple of years, especially last year with just the ineptitude across the board offensively. Um, Clifford and Levis just constantly getting harassed in the pocket and just running for their lives. And you can tell, you can tell the difference between a quarterback that's running for his life and a quarterback that is, is running and still thinks he can make something happen. And you saw it last night in the difference between Clifford and Penix, uh, because Penix was, Penix was running for his life. And, uh, we'll, we can talk about defensively what Penn state did, but, uh, versus Clifford, who a lot of times was flushed out of the pocket or sort of voluntarily moved the pocket to make something happen offensively. And that's when you have the type of skill players that Penn state has uh, at wide out. That's when things happen when, when the defense gets uh, broke down or when the quarterback's on the move and it, it makes things happen. Yeah, Zach um, to build on that too. I thought the same thing about Sean is whenever he was out of the pocket, um, he really made some good decisions. It's something that he's really grown over the last year and a half. It clearly at, uh, making good decisions as he's approaching the line of scrimmage. I think specifically of that touchdown pass to open the game, 10-yard strike to Brenton Strange. That was one where it, he he rolled out, I believe, to his left, 
started approaching the line of scrimmage, the linebacker stepped up and he made a great, perfect pass to Strange in this on the um, side of the end zone. Um, and then I think he had another one. I can't remember. Maybe you do, Zach. If it was a third down, or it might have even been a fourth down, where it was a similar play. Um, but I think Lovett was the one that ended up catching it and converting. Um, but yeah, I thought he he rolled out pretty well and found receivers again, keeping his eye downfield. Something that we've talked about for years. If if we could be more consistent with that. Yeah, I agree with with both you guys there. Um, the biggest thing I'm seeing him doing differently. He's keeping his eyes down the field, but also the underrated part of all of this is our receivers and tight ends especially are working back to the ball. And you saw that with that Dotson touchdown in the third or fourth quarter. I forget which quarter it was, but he worked back. He was sitting in the in the gap in the zone, worked to the outside, and he was wide open. And that's something I think we've missed uh, last year a lot is our receivers and quarterback just were not in sync at all. And I think that's been huge for Clifford as well as um, his ability to just keep the play alive and extend the play and feel that pressure. I think that's very big. And I think a lot of, I don't, I don't know what his drafts draft stock looks like right now, but I feel like a lot of NFL scouts are going to be recognizing those kind of plays. And those are the plays you see, you know, not to put him in the same category as this, but you see Aaron Rodgers and you see Russell Wilson's and people who get out of the pocket and are successful out of the pocket. Those are the types of plays they're making. So I don't know if you guys have an opinion on that or anything else with the offense there. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I I don't know. Um, Haven't really heard a whole lot as far as like draft stock. Um, I think he's obviously having a great start to the year. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think the more he, the, the more he can show what he can do both in terms of staying in the pocket and making accurate throws and also getting out of the pocket when needed. And, um, and, and I'll kind of switch gears here a little bit and probably segue into the, the running game discussions that I'm sure we're going to have, but there's no, there's no harm in having your quarterback be a running threat as well. I've, I've never been a big fan of the team is that force the quarterback source as part of the offensive strategy to, to, to carry the load. And I think the, the old Joe Moorhead and Ricky Ronnie and Kirk Sharaka offenses of Penn state did just that. And you can go back and look at all the big games that Penn state lost. And in so many instances, you can point to times where McSorley and you can do it. I, I challenge you to go back and look at the Ohio state games and see how many carries McSorley had in those Ohio state games, because they ran the RPO and Ohio State made a conscious effort to force the to play the RPO such that the quarterback has to keep it and then just beat up on the quarterback and just tackle him 20 times a game. And then it shows up in the third and fourth quarter when your quarterback has just been getting drilled all game. So I, I do have to I do have to give um, Mike Yersich and Clifford credit in terms of trying to stay away from overusing the quarterback in the run game just enough to remind defenses that it's there and also cliff on 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 passing plays just having the the wherewithal to get out of the pocket and pick up yards uh when he can because i think he's i think he's shown a pretty good ability this year to do that but not not jump to that at the first sign of trouble because that that's not going to work against the ohio states and the michigans um it's gotta you gotta stick in the pocket and keep your eyes downfield like jordan was talking about and use that run as sort of a last resort if it's there yeah uh I second all of that, Zach. The The running game 
is something we definitely should talk about after this game. I mean, we had 209 yards on 42 carries, and I was pretty happy with our running game, but I was severely disappointed with Noah Kane, and uh, I'll turn it over to Devin here, but I just don't see Noah Kane as being that great of a back, to be honest. He He's good between the tackles, but he seems like he's not breaking those tackles you would expect a power backed like Lee to break because um, Lee was making some of those good good runs in the middle for us. And then you have the other side, you have Lovett, who's good outside the tackle box and good at catching and also um, breaking tackles, being more elusive. So I just don't see a, a really a spot for Noah Kane at this point. And I, I'll let Devin discuss that in a little more depth here. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way with you there, Jordan. Um, I, obviously, Noah Kane has been the number one guy and, and was the number one guy. And from what I've, from what I understand, it, he's battling some sort of an injury and was kind of a game time decision last night, and and still led the team with eleven carries, but only managed twenty three yards and a longest carry of nine yards. Um, I think you kind of hit, hit that on the on the head right there. Is I just don't think. I don't know if it's the injury or what, but I feel like he's kind of worked his way down the depth chart to where I feel much, I, I feel the most comfortable when Levitt's at the back in the backfield. Cause I feel like he's going to pick up four yards if he carries it. And if it's a pass play, I trust him out of the backfield, catching it and picking up eight to 10 yards. Um, and then if you need a little switch up, I, I think Kevon Lee showed that he is shifty enough between the tackles whenever he gets a good block um, that that big gain obviously there was just an outstanding block from um the left guard and I'm, i know you guys know his name i can't think of it off the top of my head the the harvard transferred uh, but, wilson yes um a, a great block from him that that sprung lee free for that big gain um he's just not quick enough to get like you see that play and he should have got probably 60 or 65 yards if not a score and instead gets chased down by three guys after 40 yards. Um, but ultimately, I, I, I think I agree with you, Jordan. I feel like Noah Kane has worked his way down the depth chart to where if he gets two or three carries, yeah, I get it. But I just – I don't think he needs to be the number one back. I feel like Lovett and Lee should be – Lovett and Lee should be splitting more carries. Zach, you, you want to talk about that a little more? Yeah, so I'll, I'll uh, I was just going over the box score. And this is perhaps a fool's errand and, and a bit of cherry picking, but one thing I like to do when I look at stats and look into box scores is is especially in the rushing category is take away usually take away the longest run that a team had, subtract that out and say okay, take away that one outlier. And maybe the best way to do that is especially in college where for some reason quarterback sacks count against count as rushing yards. So my take on how did we run the ball tonight, the way to really figure that out is take out the three biggest, longest runs you had and take out the three or take out the sack yardage, perhaps from the running game. And then the rest of the run plays, what what did you do? And so we had that 44-yard run from, from Lee. And then I note also Clifford had an 18-yard run. Lovett had one for 13. Ford had one carry for 12. Noah Kane had one for nine. And on his other 10 carries, he gained... 14 yards on 10 carries. So if you take out the six largest, longest runs we had, we ran for, uh, we ran 36 carries for only like 112 yards. So it's one of those things where, yeah, it's a bit of cherry picking to say, well, if you take away the best plays, you know, they happened and 
chunk plays are kind of what you're going for. But the way I look at the run game isn't so much as can we can we pick up some big plays here and there because I think we can. We we have the athletes. We have the different types of backs that that, that uh, Devin just ran through. But but when you have a four minute offense type drive at the end of the you know second quarter at the end of the fourth quarter and you just want to pound the rock and pick up three or four first downs, can you can you run the ball eight or ten times and just pick up four or five yards every carry and that's where that's where I think we struggle and I think that those scenarios are the types of scenarios that can cost you the most not when you're playing Indiana um, but when you're playing Michigan or Ohio State or Iowa next week or, or Michigan State where you've got to have some semblance of a running game where you can pick up enough yardage to to, to keep the defense honest because uh, Big Ten road venues and uh, you know I think Clifford's success this year is a result of only asking him to throw it 33 times. You, you don't want to go to Iowa or into the horseshoe and, and dial up 50 pass plays. That's going to be a recipe for disaster. Zach, even to build on that too, I, I guess I'll kind of play the like Sunday afternoon quarterback, but I, I feel like that part of that running game struggle, the more games we're into the season now, five games into the season, I think it's because we don't have an established running back. Whenever you're trying to evenly split, I mean, looking at Lee Lovett and Kane, evenly split 30 carries between three guys, all three who do do different things better than each other, like all three have their own strengths. Then you're asking the offensive line to do things that are different for each running back, depending on the play call. Um, I think if we could just establish a number one back who's going to get 16 carries, a number two back who's at eight and a third guy who just comes in and helps and gets two or three carries. I think we would be a little more consistent in the running game rather than 11, 10, eight. Yeah, I think, I think there's definitely something to be said because it it goes the other direction a lot more often where people say, Oh, you know, we can't, we can't keep the quarterback upright. The offensive line sucks. You know, sometimes it, sometimes it goes the other way and it's actually the quarterback is holding on to the ball too long, like Roethlisberger, or he's fleeing the pocket and getting himself sacked in scenarios where there is a pocket. I think you see that with the running game sometimes too, where it's, hey, we can't get a push. And I, I feel somewhat confident just from watching the games and trying to keep my eye on, on just the offensive line push that we're getting that, that these, we definitely don't have a, you know, world-class offensive yeah, line of road, road graders, but I think there's something to be said too that, there are probably plays and the camera angle that you watch games from on TV doesn't help where there's, where there's holes there and we're just missing the hole or um, the back is hesitant. You know, Noah Kane, good example. There were some, there were some times uh, last night where, you know, he's trying to bounce it outside or he just, he, he makes a cut and he's, he's just, he looks really slow or hesitant. And I don't know if it's, if it's that he's injured or if he's, uh, they talked about it with Penix, and I think the same could apply to Kane with the foot injury he had last year, where it's just sometimes it takes a while to get back up to speed, sort of mentally, um, trust in your body, and he just he just looks he looks slow out there. But I think you're right that maybe it's not all on the offensive line. You know, we and we shouldn't we shouldn't leave the tight ends out of it too, because there was one one key fourth down play where there was yeah. a, a big whiff of a block from a tight end. So it it takes it takes everybody working in unison. Um, and I think you could probably point to a number of places to say it's just not been quite good enough. Um, but getting back to your original point of figuring out the running back rotation, I mean, let's talk about the fact that 
Penn State has had an embarrassment of riches at the running back position. You know, going back to um, just a couple, two years ago, Journey Brown, who, if not for medical issues, would be in the NFL right now. Like, the guy was a stud in 2019. Then, of course, you had you had basically as a starter, and then you had three years of Saquon Barkley. So we've, other than last year, which didn't really count, we've been watching just just complete complete backs that were third down backs that could uh, bust it open and just fly down the field who could also be trusted in third and one situations to, to pick up the yard and a half. Um, and all three of whom were good pass catchers. So there's guys, those guys aren't walking through the door. So the yeah. guys that we have are the guys that we have and they, they have roles. I think, you know, I think Lee is, he's a great between the tackles guy and he's a road grader and he, he falls forward. He's been, there's been a lot of times the last couple of games where he's just kind of dancing or they're using him in scenarios where they're they're running like some kind of out zone, outside zone play and he's just he's not a good guy to try to break it to the outside. Same thing with Kane at, at, at the present moment. You just can't really keep you can't get Kane outside the tackle box. It's just not going to work. Whereas Love it, I think Love it is that guy where you want to try to get him in space and let him use his athleticism um, in on the perimeter and you see him getting catching passes out in the perimeter and uh, screen passes as well. I think that's that's where they got to try to dial stuff up for him. Yeah, and I think some of that too is also back on our play calling where you shouldn't be – I think they're trying to disguise what type of runs they're doing by having, you know, Noah Kane and Lee or Ford running those outside-the-box runs – but they're just not working. So I think at some point you have to realize like, yeah, we may be showing our hand a little bit, but can you stop it is kind of the better thing I would rather them do like be a little bit more predictive, but in the end we're going to make more yards up than, you know, running Kane to the outside and getting stopped behind the line of scrimmage almost every time. I'd rather you just run with love it to the outside and make the defense guess which way you're going essentially. We'll we'll move on from the running game unless you have anything else, Devin. But we'll we'll all right. We'll, yeah, I was gonna say, how about Jawan Dodson? Yeah, enough negativity. I mean, he looks like uh, Mel Kiper has him as the number one wide receiver in the draft, and he looks every bit of it right now, in my opinion. He has the most solid hands I've seen in a very long time. Since, since probably Allen Robinson, he catches absolutely anything that's within the 814 area code right now. So um, it, it's it been awesome to watch so far, and I, I'll let you go into it a little bit more. You can talk about his stats and that catch at the back of the end zone that, you know, put us ahead early. Yeah, uh, so Dotson finished the night with eight catches for 84 yards and two touchdowns. Um, that that catch that Zach referenced earlier and then Jordan just mentioned to put us up 14 to nothing in the second quarter, I believe, maybe the third, yeah, second quarter, um, where he, he stretches out peak height, goes and grabs the ball and gets his foot down and holds on to it after getting shoved out of bounds while he's in the air. Um, uh, has to be one of the best catches of the year so far, even though Jahan Dawson's already had two or three outstanding catches. Um, it just seems like Jordan said every everything that's thrown to him or near him, he's going to find a way to catch it. And uh, I, I don't. 
based on the stats I see here, he moved into seventh in career receiving yards for Penn State, which is just it's, it's cool to see um, to to have him climbing that list and keep moving his way up. Um, and then obviously they talked about it a lot on the broadcast because Todd Blackledge was on the coverage, but the Dotson and Clifford connection for 18 total touchdowns, the most ever by a quarterback wide receiver duo. And I think that links back to, to what I can't remember if it was Jordan or Zach said at the beginning about just cohesion between our receivers and, and Sean Clifford is, is so much better this year than it's been over the last two years. And you see that cohesion with 18 touchdowns over the last couple of years between the two of them. Um, so I guess I'll turn it over to Zach here. Yeah, Dotson has been spectacular. And I think Jordan Jordan hit the nail on the head. The thing that stands out to me watching him um, is he catches everything. Um, it, it like it, it it sounds hyperbole, but I you know, we've and we've we've had some good receivers at Penn State over the uh, recent past and um, a good example is KJ Hamler, who everybody loved and was a great receiver, but there was a number of there was a number of passes that he dropped that, that guys weren't happy with but when you think back to uh, you know Dotson's, Dotson's whole career but especially especially this year I, I don't think he's dropped a pass and not only has he not dropped a pass he's made some catches on balls that good example is that Auburn throw um, where he was running a sort of a across the middle of the field route behind the linebackers and Clifford had to sort of thread the needle but but put too much on it and I think Herb Street or Fowler was basically like on the call. It was like, and he's overthrown. Oh no, he's caught it, and it just was an insane catch. Um, and when you have a guy like that, it's, it, it has to do wonders for Clifford's confidence to have a guy like that. He can just, you know, I got to get it in the vicinity, and he's going to catch it. Um, not a whole lot can be said that that we haven't already said about him, and I think he's got a guy that um as jordan referenced as far as the draft stock he's he's starting to get some attention from a national perspective i think it would take something insane for him to get on the heisman radar but he's got to be up there as far as the the list goes for uh receivers across the country and and playing as well as he is is it might not get him on the Heisman radar, but it's obviously helped sean clifford get on the heisman radar um the last thing i saw was that clifford was ranked like seventh or eighth seventh or eighth um, most likely to win the Heisman right now. Obviously, with that schedule, it helps. But uh, he, we would be 0-5 without Joh- Jahan Dodson, in my opinion, at least. Well, 1-4. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Dodson's just – he has been so important for Clifford. And, you know, if Clifford does work his way into an NFL team uh, – a portion of his paycheck should probably be going to Dotson because he's really increased his draft stock. Um, another point that is something not typical of Penn State teams we've seen in the past, these fourth downs, I am all about it. Just line up, get set, and just go for it. Don't don't give the defense time to think about it. We're not taking stupid timeouts thinking about punting it possibly or not punting it. Like We're just going for it. And just making it and uh, also transitioning right into uh, our punt game as well and our kicking game. Uh, Jordan Stout has been phenomenal. Um, I looked up his average punt is like 47 yards. He's averaging for the whole season, which is crazy. I think he's like the fourth best in that category. Um, so he's just, he's been really impressive. And I'll turn it over to Zach because I know he he'll have something to say about 
uh, Jordan Stout because he made a comment about it while we were watching the game. But uh, you want to talk about the fourth down conversions and going for it as well as the, our kicking game a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, I think Jordan hit the nail on the head on both of those points. I think it, it's refreshing to see that. And I'm not, of course, like any fan, I complain about results, but I, I'm more of like a process-based guy. And what I what I see is an offensive staff that knows when we see a certain scenario or they've game planned for, you know, fourth and two from this particular part of the field, it's automatic and we know what we're doing. And I think, again, that's not going to work out every time, but I think when you have the staff is on the same page, the players, that means the players are going to be on the same page. They know when we see this type of scenario, we're going to go for go for it we're going to run this type of play we're going to we're going to go to this guy i think it it increases the likelihood of success that it's going to work out so many times especially in the college game you see a team driving and they'll get to like a fourth and two from just outside of field goal range but from an area that you don't really want to punt from and then everybody's standing around looking at the sidelines and the coaches are talking to each other and it's just this mass chaos and you either end up running a play that it's sort of scatterbrained or you end up burning a timeout which is something we've talked about before so my as much as i love the results that we, we've, we're seeing you know two for three on fourth down last night of course the, the one miss was kind of an ugly one down on the goal line but um i what i really like is the fact that we look organized and we look like we know what we want to do in those situations so that again getting back to some of these upcoming big games on the road you got to you got to go into those venues knowing what you're going to do because you can't you can't be trying to do it on the fly and uh, making those decisions and relaying them onto the players on the field. So I, I'm very pleased to see that um, going over to the punting situation. I, I mean, it's the Big Ten. I, I love a great punter, and the thing that's kind of going unsaid, I think, is yeah, we've got a really good defense as evidenced by the fact that we just pitched a shutout, which is pretty tough to do in in today, considering how the the rules are so slanted to the offense, but a great punter is is a defense's best friend. And if you if you really stop and think about it, think back to the Wisconsin game, the Auburn game last night against Indiana. They're starting every drive from like the fifty their own fifteen yard line. And when you have a defense like Penn State that's not getting beat over the top, the way you're gonna have to beat them is to have a 15, 16, 17 play drive. And you're gonna have to start from your own 15 or 20 yard line and it just it just makes it really really challenging i can i can think back to some some good penn state defenses that struggled with bad punting that put them in terrible situations all game long and it's just it's such an advantage that uh, really goes unsaid and and i think if you watch the the, the alabamas and the and the ohio states under urban meyer they always have really really good punting and special teams isn't isn't an afterthought. Uh, Iowa's another. Good. Iowa is always really good. It's not an afterthought. It's a feature. We we take pride in, in what we do on special teams, and it's why wouldn't you? Special team, an extension of your defense. So, I'm. I think definitely should be getting some recognition. I don't know if uh, if anybody really pays attention to punters, but uh, he's doing a great job. Yeah, Zach, and I just pulled up the drive chart too, just to, to kind of reinforce what you're reinforce what you're saying. If you look at Indiana's drives, whenever they receive the ball from via punt, they started at the 14, the nine, the 11, the 32, the 12, and the 23. 
all of those are deep uh, and obviously kicks it out of the end zone on every touchback. So they're starting at the 25, every single kickoff. Um, but that that's exactly what you said is he's making a big difference in the field possession game um, of constantly flipping over the field. And I think that going from Jordan Stout, like you said, because he is an extension of the defense whenever we have such a good punter, I think that's a good transition to move on from our offense to our defense. Um, the first thing that's really stood out to me as I was looking through stats and looking at the game notes and, and different stuff online, the first shutout for the Penn State defense since Maryland 2019, we obviously have reference to that 59-0 to game a few times because you guys were there for that one, I believe, correct? Or was that before that? So we were, we were at the 66-3 to okay. game. All right. In 2017. Gotcha. Um, it's so it's this, tough to keep track of all those blowouts. All those blowouts, they, they yeah. kind of blow together. Yeah. Um, so there was the first shutout since that game against Maryland in 2019, 59-0. First home shutout since 2017 against Georgia State. Um, and the biggest thing that stood out to me, just after throwing some, some of those stats out there, and, and I'm sure Jordan will have some comments on this as well, including that fourth down stop and – um, the blocked field goal, it means that Penn State has held opponents without points, so no field goal or touchdown, on 7 of 15 red zone trips this year. So we've only given up points on 8 trips to the red zone so far this year. Um, and Franklin had a really good quote that I included in some of our notes that were uh, we referenced. He said, I know there's some people out there in the country that may be playing more suffocating defense overall, but you know our defense is something I hope all of our fans and Letterman are very proud of. And I think we have really praised the defense a lot this year. So I'm sure we are very happy with how the defense has turned in um, and just set another another bar by holding Indiana to zero points and 250 yards. Uh, so I'll turn that over to Jordan. Yeah, Devin, uh, great stuff there. I love bringing up all the stats. Um, I'm not always the biggest stat guy, so it's nice having you guys on the podcast to you know pull those in. Um, the seven of 15 red zone trips, a piece I'd like to kind of dig into. I don't have the details of that, but I feel like when teams are getting in the red zone, they're not getting all the way down to the goal line either. So it's usually their first possession in the red zone. So we're, we are forcing longer plays and I, we've been really good on first and second down in the red zone. Um, kind of forcing those longer third and fourth downs that are turning into, uh, missed field goals or turnover on downs, those sort of things. So, um, I mean, being almost 50% or over 50% actually, uh, or right around 50% is phenomenal for us. Um, Our defense has just been playing very good. We have studs everywhere on the outside. You know, you have Joey Porter Jr. He had his first interception, which he's probably been close to having a few already. Um, You have just a vast... Uh, abilities all around the ball and everybody is looking to get the ball we have ball hawking guys all over the field and the biggest thing I've seen that I've been the most impressed with is we're making those solid tackles you know we're not missing tackles and there's always two or three guys swarming the ball at all times it's it's just it's very refreshing to see and I know I've been hard on Franklin in the past but that quote is exact. Like he is very aware of what you know Penn State is about and what people in Big Ten country want, and we want those defenses that don't give up points. They're getting takeaways and are making those tackles. 
Um, we're just very disciplined on defense too. Um, not too many penalties that I've seen. We've been playing very well. Not a lot of pass interferences. Very physical with people up front, but we know the time and place of when to stop that. So it's it's been very fun to watch. And uh, the only additional thing I have for our punting game, just to backtrack a tiny bit, is with those punts, um, uh, most of those are being fair caught too. And that's because Stout is very good at getting hang time on his punts. So he's not out kicking the coverage and we're able to get guys down there that is really resulting in a lot of good stops with the punting game. And you see every week you see the games are flipping because of bad special teams and teams that get those big runbacks and, you know, take it to the house and those sort of things. It changes the game. You saw it in Notre Dame, Wisconsin uh, last week, and you saw it two weeks ago in Cincinnati versus Indiana. It totally changed the game. So uh, I've been very happy with our punting slash defense and special teams. I'll turn it over to Zach here, but I, I've just been absolutely thrilled with how we're playing and the way we stopped Penix this weekend. Uh, yeah, a couple, couple things I'll note. One is especially in the college game, there's there's always a couple pivotal moments in a game, usually related to turnovers, where they're, they're, they're like hinge points in the game. And the, the Clifford interception, which we didn't get into detail too much, that, that was like the old Clifford staring down a receiver for far too long and, and just got picked off. But um, that, that was one of those moments where Indiana was like dead in the water and was doing um, – thankfully the offense was able to tackle the guy and give the defense a chance – and that that next series for Indiana was a real hinge point in the game or, or pivotal moment where if you're Indiana, you get seven off of that, and all of a sudden it's 14-7 to seven and you're right in the game. Um, and if you're Penn State, what happens is you, you, shut them, you shut them down and they get absolutely nothing. They go for fourth, fourth down and goal, and they, and they don't get it. And now they, Indiana went from having absolutely nothing to even almost less than nothing because – we we basically gift wrapped them some points and they didn't get anything out of it, um, so it's it's so from a uh, like emotional standpoint it's such a huge turn of events and and that's what the defense has been doing all year. I think Devin referenced the number of trips where teams have had in the red zone and come out with nothing, um, but and then to to back up something Jordan said earlier, I think this is the first we've seen some good defenses at Penn State over the year over the years not not so much in the recent past but this is the first time i can recall where the the defense has been pretty sound or or is is, is pretty sound and is talented at all three levels and in fact i would if if you were to gun at my head ask me what what level of the defense is is the most impressive through the first five games i would probably say the secondary which is not always the case at penn state usually the front seven uh, in some of the better defenses Penn State has had, the front seven is better, and sometimes against the better passing teams with with skill players on the perimeter, the secondary gets torched a little bit. I don't think that's the case this year. I think you've got two two corners that are playing at a really high level. I think you've got, and in those corners, you've got the type of build for a corner that I love to see, which is tall, lanky, long-armed guys that can run like the wind in Porter Jr. and Castro Fields specifically they're not it's going to take a certain type of receiver to just beat them on jump balls and then you've got at a really high level of course brisker i think is playing as well as anybody um guys that can tackle too you know you you see porter 
Porter Jr. and Castro Fields out there making tackles. Um, just just a complete secondary. You've got nickel guys, bench guys coming in. Daquan Hardy, Jordan has referenced on the podcast before, has played really well out of the slot. Um, uh, Keaton Ellis, I think he was injured the first couple games, but has been. I've seen him in there as well. It's, it's not just it's not just um, a couple guys that are doing everything. It's really there's a lot of depth, and I think that's that's key as well when you get late into the season and potentially injuries start to to affect things. Um, just just having a number of guys you can turn to is crucial. Yeah, Zach, and and when we talk about how great our, our secondary is, then we can turn right around and say how great our defensive line has been playing and, and to hold Indiana to 69 yards on 24 carries. Um, obviously, our secondary gets involved there, and linebackers Ellis Brooks led the team with eight tackles last night. Um, but whenever you've got defensive linemen that are constantly getting – the advantage over their offensive linemen counterparts um, getting in the backfield, rushing Penix and, and Tuttle once he came in, I know Jordan even said, um, am I, I'm, I'm a little worried that this backup quarterback is coming in first play of the game that he's in the game just gets rocked. Um, and I think it really set the tone that it doesn't matter who's back there. We've got guys that are better than you. And, and the defense believes that right now. Yeah, absolutely, Devin. And I was, I was just a little worried because I didn't know how the dynamic was going to change with Penix going out. But uh, I mean, Ebiketti has played. He played one of the best offensive games out of anybody I've seen all year at an individual level. Um, I think he got a he got a piece of that blocked field goal. He had a couple huge sacks and tackle for losses. So. I, I've been very thrilled with how he's playing. And then, of course, you had the Joey Porter Jr. interception. And I think everything you're talking about, us dominating the offense or, or, yeah, dominating the defensive line transitions right into, you know, this game coming up with number three, Iowa. Um, and what they did to Maryland this weekend. Are we going to be able to stop Iowa on offense I think so I don't think I was as dynamic on offense as some of the offenses we've seen um I could see it going very similar to how we played against Auburn I think it could be a close game but we'll we'll discuss that a little bit later on this week but uh I I mean I will absolutely destroyed Maryland and their defense looked very, very good against what we thought was a very competent offense. So, uh, Zach, I don't know if you want to talk about that Iowa-Maryland game. Yeah, that's one that that we we talked about on the last podcast. And I think um, – I don't think anyone predicted the Maryland upset, but I think we were all on board with the idea that Maryland had the potential to give them, give them a game. And I think if you're Iowa, you probably were a little bit worried just, again, the Friday night – the weirdness of the Friday night game, it's on the road. Maryland's coming in undefeated, rolling in with some momentum with a quarterback that some folks are saying had been the best quarterback in the Big Ten through the early part of the season. And it it all just came crashing down, and Iowa just put it on them. And and they took it personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the I'll say it was sort of the inverse of we were talking about a minute ago. Good special teams ties into a good defense. Iowa's Iowa's 
great defense and great special teams are just laying things on a platter for their offense. There's if you've been paying attention to Iowa games this year, they have had so many drives, scoring drives where they went 20 or 30 yards because the defense got an interception or the kick return unit on the other team fumbled the the kickoff and and so it's one of those things where Iowa's offense hasn't been great and their total numbers, their total yardage in, in some of these games haven't been great. But frankly, it's tough to hold it against them when their defense is getting like five interceptions and returning them. It's kind of hard for the offense to stack up too much yardage. So it is interesting to to see, to to kind of predict what Iowa's going to do to us offensively. And I think part of part of our job as uh, part of Penn State's job is to make sure that we're punting the ball when things go bad. Uh, because I haven't seen a ton out of Iowa in terms of big plays or really long drives um, covering 60, 70, 80 yards. So I think if, if we force them to do that, it, it will be telling to see what kind of defense we have. Because I think with the defense we have, we shouldn't be giving up big explosive plays to Iowa or, or long drives. I think if, if special teams or Clifford has an off night, that's, that's where things could go wrong for us. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I think we have to take care of the ball next week and play time of possession and field or uh play the field and you know set them up to have to drive the length of the field but yeah i mean that iowa maryland game was crazy um tagovailoa looked absolutely abysmal i think he had three first half interceptions and a fumble which is not great was it it might have been four i i couldn't keep track to be five total i think it was four in the first half um and and the I give it to Maryland fans. That that place was packed, and they were all gone by halftime. But um, <laughs> it was packed in the first half. So uh, we'll move on to the other Friday night game. Uh, BYU took care of business against Utah State. I didn't watch any of it. I don't think any of us really did. Um, they're moving on. So I we'll get to the AP poll a little bit later. I'll uh, see how far they moved up. But uh, moving on to the game of was supposed to be the one yes. thing about that BYU game. I also didn't watch it. I uh, just saw some highlights, but, uh, and I'm sure I'm going to pronounce this name wrong. Um, Algier, I assume the running back from BYU. I assume that's how you pronounce his last name. Tyler yes. looked, looked really good. 22 carries for 218 yards and three touchdowns. Um, having a running back like that should give BYU some hope that if, if they can run the table and make some noise and get to a, um, a big time bowl game, even though I don't think that they have really any shot of getting all the way up to the top four. I think they could get into a good bowl game and having a running back like that at least gives them some hope that they can, they could upset somebody if they get there. Yeah. I mean, that's how you beat big teams by running the ball. So uh, that's a good bring up. But like I said, I, I really didn't cover that game at all. So, but, but is Al Jazeera, is that what you're looking for? <laughs> and I will note BYU had a quarterback, name of Romney and a uh, one of the receivers is Romney. so season looks promising right now but it's it's probably going to let you down at the end <laughs> I love it <laughs> uh yeah it reminds me of a couple years ago when you think you have a shot but then it just doesn't pan out that way <laughs> so, so uh, uh, on, on, the, uh, on, on the, the, what was supposed, supposed to be the game of the, of the week, week Arkansas at Georgia um I'd like to personally apologize to anybody that took any advice for betting on this game because of this podcast. <laughs> we did not do you any justice. Uh, 
Yeah, I got nothing. Arkansas looked absolutely terrible. Georgia looked every bit of number two. I think they're the number one team in the country. Uh, Devin or Zach, feel free to chime in on this one. Only thing I'll say before, Zach, you can take it off. Only thing I'm going to say is uh, without Georgia's starting quarterback, JT Daniels, to go in there, or to, I mean, at home, but to go in and just, just annihilate an Arkansas team that we all kind of talked up last week, um, I think it says a lot about where Georgia is at right now. Yeah, it, it as somebody who was kind of riding high on the hogs there for a minute, it was pretty disappointing to see. And it sometimes sometimes the score doesn't reflect the actual beatdown. Um, this one this one does. Arkansas had 87 yards passing and 75 yards rushing on. 29 carries so about two and a half yards a carry they had no receiver no pass catcher that had more than 22 yards um just statistically it it was it was a beat down and, and georgia really seven of 11 through the air for 72 yards they didn't they didn't even have to throw the ball because they had 273 yards rushing um Stetson Bennett the fourth did a nice job filling in for JT Daniels I, I imagine he was wearing like a smoking jacket and had a cigar uh but it's such a great name yeah it it really is but he's apparently pretty good at turning around and handing the ball off to running backs is he in the all name division to zach yeah he's he's up there (laughs) yeah i mean it just uh, i really wanted arkansas to go in there beat georgia i'm just an sec hater through and through so i didn't want to see georgia be that dominant but i I don't know if anybody can beat Georgia. I know they had a close game with Clemson, who's kind of trash now. So I I don't know. It's just very. I I think Georgia. I th- again, it's it's still kind of early. You know, they'll still have to play Florida. They have Auburn next week, which I'm not expecting a whole lot about out of Auburn. But I think Georgia is one of those teams where, you know, you love to say we got to pound the rock. Even we got to try to keep them honest, even if even if we know we can't run on them. I think if if you're going to beat Georgia, I think you got to come in and just chuck the ball and have um, a fleet of receivers and just try to beat them that way because you're not you're not going to line up and and get three or four yards a carry and and have a 15 play drive and march march on them. It's you almost have to just try to play for explosive plays and that that's itself a problem because when the other team knows you've abandoned all hope to run, they just pin their ears back and they get after the quarterback. So they're 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 going to be tough. I I think. Um, We'll talk about it, I'm sure, but I, you know, the one and two, at least for the AP voters and for the coaches who do the voting in the coaches poll, they seem to be pretty sold on Alabama. I, I, I don't know if that's how this podcast feels. It's not. I well, that's not how I feel. So Spoiler alert! I can tell you that. <laughs> um, we'll move on to some other other games here. I was highly impressed with Michigan this weekend. Um, I've been kind of riding high on Michigan. I think they could possibly win the Big Ten East at this point. Um, I think it's between them and Penn State. Um, They went in and just looked really good against Wisconsin. So, um, Devin, I don't know if you got to watch that game at all. Uh, Again, just saw some highlights busy Saturday for me personally. Um, but looking at, at just having that box score in front of me, the thing that's really stands out is that Michigan struggled to run the ball and did not care. They just kept doing it. Um, and I think that that says a lot about the philosophy of this team for them to only rush for 112 yards, but to have 44 carries, 
Um, they believe that eventually it's going to work for them and, and it limits what you can do offensively for, for McNamara and kind of lets him play within his, his skill set to be uh, 17 for 28 for yards and two scores, a good QBR of 89. I mean, that that's, that's a great stat line from a quarterback and I'm sure Michigan expects to rush for 250 yards every game, but if you can't to have a quarterback be that efficient and uh, not make any mistakes is really, really solid for them. Yeah. yeah no, I'll say, uh, oh, go ahead, Zach. I, I was just going to jump in. I have the box score up as well. Michigan had no carry longer than eight yards. So yeah. say what you want about Wisconsin. They're still doing a good job of uh, their front seven locking down the run game, but I have to echo what Devin said. I've been asking questions, Michigan, that, you're not going to be able to just run 57 times a game like they had been through the first four or five games. And the quarterback kind of answered the bell. I think Devin, Devin mentioned the stats, so I won't repeat them, but uh, two touchdowns, no interceptions, um, and some significant yardage. I think if you're a Michigan fan, you, you have some level of confidence that we're not a one-trick pony and you know we can try to beat teams offensively in, in, in different ways. Yeah, I agree completely with that. Um, I just, I've been impressed with Michigan, how they're playing. Wisconsin is what Wisconsin is at this point. I could see, I I could see Michigan beating a, any team they play the rest of the season. I could also see them losing some games, like most teams this year. So it's just, it was good to see them not abandon their run game, which I've seen them do in previous years and continue to try and, work that so they can work their play action. And when your quarterback doesn't turn the ball over, that's recipe to win games. So we'll see how the rest of their season goes. Um, I forget who they play next weekend, but. um, At Nebraska. And we'll talk about it on the preview podcast this week. So stay tuned. Yeah, exactly. Good, good uh, chime in there, Devin. So moving on to another team who's played Wisconsin this year, Cincinnati at Number nine, Notre Dame. This was a great game. I highly enjoyed it. I love, love seeing Notre Dame lose games. So it checked all the boxes for me. Um, I'm kind of one of those guys who kind of want to see a power five, non-power five team make it in, but not at the expense of of Penn State, obviously. But Zach, you want to talk Cincy Notre Dame? Yeah, so this is one we got right because I think all three of us picked Cincinnati. Um, and look, it's a huge win for Cincinnati. No, no doubt about it. When we talked last week about the group of five, that what's held back the UCFs and the Boise's and the, um, teams, um, from those conferences, the mountain West and the American is that they don't have the type of schedule that they can point to at the end of the line and say, Hey, you're comparing me and one loss, Oklahoma. Well, look, look who I played. I beat Notre Dame in South Bend. Those teams haven't had that. And Cincinnati will. I think there's a good chance Indiana is going to end up not looking like that great of a win. But at the time, since he also had a, a road win in Indiana, um, so they did about as much as they could possibly do as far as non-conference goes. A lot of, a lot of times, you know, the, Ohio State's never going to play Cincinnati. Um, you know, it, there's just it's hard if you're in a, a group of five school to schedule these big dogs. And, um, you know, you kind of have to tip your cap to Notre Dame to even take a game like this. But I will say, I don't think this is a vintage Notre Dame team. And we've talked about this as well. I don't think this is a number nine Notre Dame team. So 
one thing to watch is does Notre Dame stabilize the ship and maybe end the season 11-1 or 10-2? and And if so, this this maintains a, a good win for Cincinnati to point to, but perhaps Notre Dame, the wheels fall off and they lose a few more and it's not quite the win that they thought it was. So all that to say, big win for Cincinnati, but stay tuned as far as what it means at the end of the year. And I still, I still say... Cincinnati is at the mercy of the other conferences. Even a 12-0 Cincinnati is not breaking through unless the right things shake out in the Big Ten SEC and Oklahoma at this point. Yeah, I agree. And I've got into this with some of my friends about when when do we let non-Power 5 schools have a shot at the playoff? You know, what what does the resume have to look like because they're not playing, you know, these eight, nine game schedules against quality and imp- quality opponents every week. Like at the time, yeah, Cincinnati, you played Indiana on the road and you beat them. That's that's every week in the Big Ten. So, you know, is it fair to punish a team for having to play really good opponents and, you know, not winning every game? Or is it wins over nothing? And as we've seen before strength of schedule should matter. So I think Cincinnati has done better than most, and they've definitely benefited of starting very high in the AP poll to begin with, which I think is a big thing. But I I just don't know. I'll have to see how it all shakes up at the end of the season. But they need to go and blow the doors off every other conference opponent they play this year to really have a chance, in my opinion. A ranked game. Yep, absolutely. And uh, speaking of other teams, I hate uh, Alabama. <laughs> um, I really wanted Ole Miss to be something, but it looks like it's fool's gold again for uh, SEC opponents versus the top five. So um, I watched some of this game, super disappointed. I really wanted Lane Kiffin to get the better of Nick Saban at one point in his whole life, but maybe next year. Um, at least they, they look good losing with their nice powder blue helmets. So Zach, I don't know if you want to talk old miss Alabama. Yeah. So one thing I will say relative to Arkansas who I don't necessarily think Arkansas is dead in the water, but old miss at least showed some signs of life. Um, you know, you don't want to give up 42 points obviously, but the quarterback was 21 of 29 for 213 yards and a touchdown. So if there's something to take away, you know, at least there's, there's, they showed some signs of life. Um, you're just anyone that expected them to go into Tuscaloosa and come out with a win based on what we had seen so far, I think was just asking for a lot. Again, we talked about on the last podcast, Ole Miss basically had a, a non conference or a neutral site win over Louisville, and that was about it. And I don't think Louisville's all that great. So, one of those SEC teams that's probably just ranked a little too high and we'll see how they respond because obviously in the sec west they they have a lot of big games left so all is not lost if you're lane kiffin um i don't think anybody was expecting a playoff appearance but they still have a chance to to get some big wins and finish you know nine and three perhaps and end up in a good bowl yeah and uh i i just really don't like seeing the same four teams in the college football playoff every year so 
And maybe that's because my team is not one of them. <laughs> so maybe a little bias there. But yeah, I was just hoping for a closer game in all reality. And after watching the Florida-Alabama game, I I thought Alabama was primed to have another close one. But, you know, maybe Old Miss was just overhyped and overranked. And I, I don't know if they really belong in the top 25 anymore, but we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later. Um, moving on to another game that we had talked about Devin you absolutely hit this one right right in the sweet spot here Oregon at Stanford we have Oregon losing 24-31 in overtime what a thrilling game had everything you want if you're gonna have to watch a Pac-12 game uh I don't know if you want to talk that a little bit yeah um Honestly, this was one of those games that made me feel like I actually understand college football. I just wish I would have doubled down and went all in on Stanford rather than saying that they would end up losing at the end. Um, I think I also said Tanner McKee would throw for 250, threw for 230, so I was a little off there. Um, But Oregon just played terrible. Oregon did not look good at all to me. Makes me really curious about that win over Ohio State, how they played so well in that game. and like Jordan said, if you're going to be forced to watch a Pac-12 game before the Penn State game, at least we saw some exciting finishing in this game. Although Stanford did everything they could to lose the game, running five straight back shoulder fades, including the untimed down to win the game or to force it to overtime, excuse me. Um, but five straight back shoulder fades is it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah, I was I was watching the end of that game as well, and it was just – I was kind of shocked. They just kept going back to it. Now they do have they do have two pretty big, uh, solid uh, receivers, but still, it just it just it's a low percentage play, um, and part of it it just seems like you're just hunting for pass interference calls, which they got at the end, which was the reason they got that untimed down. Of course, was that pass interference was which was kind of questionable. So if you're Oregon, maybe you have something to gripe about, but. The way the end of the game played out, too, if you're Oregon, you you had you just about had that game on ice, and you just couldn't quite put it away. Yeah, I agree. And uh, wasn't there a targeting call they called back at the end of that game too, or was that a different game? No, there there was one, and I think I think they were right to call it no targeting um, because the kid came in with his he kind of hit him with his face mask, and like, but his head was up, and he was looking at the target, and which I think for me is sort of indicative of whether or not you're running around using your helmet as a battering ram or whether your head is involved in a legitimate football play so my take was that that was a good no call gotcha yeah um i just i was switching back and forth because there's so many good games on so uh yeah that was that was a phenomenal game uh devin the guru over there with the call uh another team that we've talked about in Great length. Oklahoma at K-State. K-State, so close to pulling the upset you called, Zach. You want to go through that game and what we saw and uh, Heisman hopeful uh, in that game. I'll do my best. I wasn't actually able to watch much of that game, but lately K-State has had Oklahoma's number. And I think it's – I've always – my take is that K-State is one of the few teams in the Big 12 that that never went full-blown screw defense um they've always been going back to the bill they sort of defense first uh run game with it with a tough 
hard-nosed quarterback. Um, and of course, they're playing without their starting quarterback right now. But yeah, another another game where Oklahoma wins, and it wasn't pretty, but a win is a win, and it's hard to it's hard to get too upset with it as long as you keep winning. But it's also indicative of the fact that if you're going to be in these tight games, game week after week after week, it's really hard. It's really hard to win them all. It's easy to win them all when you're Alabama and you're beating everybody by 28 points. Because the 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 weirdness of college football allows for crazy stuff to happen in close games. But you know, if you're up 28, it's not that's not going to happen. Yeah, I'll echo that too, Zach. Is that Oklahoma is is finding a way to win these games even when they seem to be outplayed by their opponents? Um, I thought Kansas State really should have, if not definitely could have, won this game. Um, Spencer Rattler, though, again, I, I don't understand the hate. 22 of 25 for 243 and two scores. I thought he played pretty well. Yeah. Also, um, I just – I know people are hating on him. I just think he was overhyped, and I just don't think Oklahoma is a very good team, to be honest. Um, I, I know K-State is – is what they are and they have had Oklahoma's number in the past. But I mean, if you're walking around, you know, trying to be the number four team in the country, you need to start beating people like by a lot, or at least show that you're, you know, a better team. So I, I mean, we'll get to my top 25, but I think Oklahoma is absolute fraud and I don't care what their record says. They really haven't played anybody good yet. So that's just my take on them. Uh, moving on to teams that Penn State has played. We had number 22 Auburn at LSU. And I want to say to any Auburn fans that might stumble upon this, uh, to put it nicely, you're full of shit about LSU being the loudest stadium because that place was not loud at all. And Zach, you can talk about that. <laughs> Well, with with the caveat that I was sitting on my couch and not inside the stadium, I, like every other SEC school that I watch, I don't get the impression that the stadium is rocking and the building swaying and people are going nuts. Um, and again, maybe maybe it's because LSU ended up losing the game and they they weren't stomping Auburn, so there weren't a lot of moments to to get nuts. But you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I will say, you gotta, you absolutely have to tip your cap to Bo Nix, right? So he went from somewhat of the goat in the Penn State game, even though I don't, I don't think he really was, I don't think he really played all that poorly. And then definitely was the goat in the uh, Georgia State game and ended up getting benched. And then there was a lot of controversy in the week before LSU about who was going to start and who was going to play. And then he comes in and, and from the, from the portions of the game that I watched and the highlights that I saw, he played really well. He, he had a fourth down conversion that was probably the craziest play I've seen all season. Yeah, uh, if you haven't seen insane. that, <laughs> you, you got to check it out. It was absolutely not. Oh, it wasn't just a fourth down conversion. They ended up scoring a touchdown, a touchdown. On a play <laughs> yeah. where, where they absolutely were dead in the water. But that, that was a huge win for Auburn. That was a huge win for their first year head coach who, because everyone's crazy in the South, was starting to feel some heat from the message boards. And I think, you know, L- Auburn hadn't won in, death valley since 1999 which is crazy but so i i think about gets everybody 
in Auburn kind of to cool it a little bit. And I think Bo Nix now just the Georgia State game looks like a blip on the radar and maybe he's he's back to to being who they hoped he was going to be. And one thing I've been I've been talking about with with folks is the SEC West, who who's the second best team in that conference, in that division, I should say. You know, there's a lot of quality teams in there, but you've got AM State. AM falling off. You've got <laughs> Yeah, Mississippi State beating A and M. You've got Arkansas that that climbed up and got smacked down by Georgia. You've got Auburn. You've got LSU. You've got Ole Miss. It's it is a crazy division. It's a little bit it's a little bit like the uh, Big Ten East. Although I think the Big Ten East there's a bigger split between the haves and the have-nots. So that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Is Auburn maybe the second best team in the West, or are they maybe I mean, maybe and- they're yeah, at the bottom win, of the division. If they win out and they go into the last week of the season in the Iron Bowl, anything happens in that game. So, I mean, well, that's a big if because they do play Georgia <laughs> next week. But and they're yes. going to lose to Georgia. Yeah, they they drew uh, possibly one of the one of the issues with the divisions in all these big conferences is the the unbalanced nature of the so everybody within the division plays each other true round robin and then in each conference there's you have two or three games against teams in the other division and one team in the SEC might play Georgia as their east crossovers and then somebody else gets South Carolina and Vanderbilt it's just totally unbalanced but it is what it is Auburn unfortunately their protected rival is Georgia so they have Georgia next week um, but yeah, if they were somehow able to pull that off, that's a that's a top ten team for sure. But again, something as your as a Penn State fan, something to keep an eye on. The shine is off the Wisconsin game for sure, and it's not coming back. But Auburn perhaps can 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 yeah, Auburn can perhaps still be a pretty big uh, non conference scout for Penn State. But again, we're still kind of early in the season, and there's a lot of big SEC games left to be played for for uh, Auburn. Right, and then uh, moving on to conferences that are kind of dead. Boston College couldn't get it done to stay undefeated versus Clemson, though the game was very close. Which I don't, I don't think you guys predicted that uh, correctly. But um, yeah, that was a uh, another game that could have. No, that you summed it up right there. You could have just stopped with it was another okay. game. Nobody, nobody <laughs> even cares. Clemson's trash. Uh, Jordan's going to hit our AP top 25 here, I'm sure, in just a couple of minutes. But the fact that they fell out of the top 25 for the first time since I think it was 2014 after a win makes it twice as funny to me. So <laughs> ACC is trash. So is Pitt or Wake Forest going to win the ACC? Oh, man, I don't It might be Pitt. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll which just uh... says, which sums up the ACC, really. Yeah. Oh, you mean the fourth best school in Pennsylvania? Who who ACC? lost to Western Michigan? <laughs> yeah, I mean they may be fifth best in Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, all right, moving on. All jokes aside, so we got the AP poll. Uh, I'll just run through the AP poll quick, and then I'll turn it over to you guys for your top tens. But on the graphic, I'll have you submit your full top twenty-five just so people can get a look. And I have some. Some great picks in my top 25, so I'll just hammer my whole top 25 then as well. Yeah, yeah, if you uh, if you want to, yeah, we can do that, actually. That, that makes more sense uh, since we're dual platforming. Yeah, we've kind of made it, so 
Uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, AP poll, Alabama won, Georgia, Iowa, Penn State, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Oregon, Michigan, BYU. Uh, let's just talk top 10 real quick. I'm okay with these rankings. I think Georgia did more than Alabama has all season, so I think they should be ranked a little bit higher or higher than Alabama. Uh, I guess smacking around Maryland is better than, you know, a very solid shutout against a Indiana team that's been very good, who's played very hard opponents. But just my take, uh, Cincinnati's up there. Oklahoma sitting at six still. And then, obviously, you have your Ohio State, Oregon, undefeated Michigan, undefeated BYU. So I'll turn it over to Devin. You can talk the top 10 real quick um, and just discuss that. And then I'll move on and cover the rest of the AP poll, and then you guys can go through your top 25. Sure, yeah. Uh, No real big surprises to me there. I think maybe Oregon is the one that stands out after a loss um, uh, to a, a subpar Stanford team. I mean, Stanford's okay, but not that good. I thought they would fall out of the top 10, even from three. Um, Four Big Ten teams in the top nine is really cool, and then Jordan's going to hit the rest of them here, but Michigan State at 11. So five out of the top 11 right now are are Big Ten teams. That's cool for us, being obviously Big Ten homers. Um, My top 10 is pretty close to that, so I don't really have much much to say otherwise. All right, go ahead, Zach. Uh, Report the top 10. Do you want my top 10 or, or, or talk about the AP top 10? Just talk about the AP top 10 and then I'll cover the so, rest of the AP. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I would agree with Georgia. I, I don't, I don't understand how Georgia is not number one. And for a number of reasons, because I think, I think their, their beat down of a would be contender in Arkansas was a bigger, more powerful beat down than Alabama's beat down of another would be SEC contender in Ole Miss. And then, where the where that tie gets broken is I think Georgia again we're not high on Clemson but uh, I think they have the non-conference win over Clemson whereas Alabama's uh, was over Miami and uh, I don't even want to waste our time talking about Miami so I think Georgia's non-conference win is better than Alabama so in, no matter how you shake it out I just I don't know how you look at the resumes and, and determine that Alabama's better but it is what it is um as far as Iowa jumping Penn State, it is a little interesting. I, I'm not, I'm not. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with Iowa being ahead of Penn State just based on the resumes. I think it's pretty much a draw, and it's going to get, it's going to shake out on the field next week anyway. But I, I think both teams had very, very resounding wins this week, which just increases the hype uh, for the game next week. As far as uh, Oklahoma, we've talked about sort of ad nauseum week after week. It's, it's. It's tough to see them in front of some of these other teams, but a lot of the voters just believe in win and survive. And there's a number of teams behind them that have losses. Um, we'll see. Eventually, I think, like I mentioned a little bit ago, if you hire the way they are, it will eventually burn them. It just you see it every year in college football. You, you can't you can't play with fire like that. Someone someone is going to beat them. Um. I kind of agree with Devin a little bit. I think Oregon, the fall was not as steep as I thought it might be. Again, maybe the saving grace is it was a road loss, not a home loss, but um, still. Still Stanford. (laughs) I'll say it's a little interesting, BYU making the jump up to 10. But one thing we'll talk about when we do our picks, I'm sure, is you start to do these picks and 
you, you pretty quickly run out of undefeated teams or at least undefeated teams that have actually beaten somebody. And it's just a jumbled mess of flawed teams, and it's really hard to kind of figure out who goes where. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. So I'll just hammer out the rest of the AP poll uh, just in case somebody hasn't seen it. So at 11, we have Michigan State, 12, Oklahoma State with that win against Baylor, which I was wrong on that game too. Uh, Then you have Arkansas, 13, Notre Dame, 14 still, Coastal Carolina, 15, 16, Kentucky, 17, Old Miss, 18, Auburn, 19, Wake Forest, 20, Florida, 21, Texas, 22, Arizona State, 23, um, NC State, 24, SMU, and then 25, San Diego State, and then Clemson, Texas A&M, Oregon State, Baylor, Mississippi State, Valtech, all out of the top 25. So I'll turn it over to you, Devin. Go ahead and go through your top 25 and... Uh, you don't have to go in depth on every pick, but just kind of let us know what your thought process was. Yeah, I'll run through um, just as a, as a, um, I guess, caveat off the top. I made sure to do mine before the AP 25 came out just to make sure I wasn't impacted at all. Um, I agree with what Zach started to say there. I felt like the top eight, I felt like were pretty obvious. And then everyone else, I just kind of, Threw some names at the hat. So 25, Clemson, barely. 24, Arizona State. 23, NC State. 22, Wake Forest. 21, Florida. 20, SMU. 19, Ole Miss. 18, Texas, which sets up a big game this week. I think they're really surging right now. Um, 17, Auburn. 16, Arkansas. 15, Kentucky. 14, Notre Dame. 13, Oregon, 12, Oklahoma State. Just on the outside, I have not, at number 11, I have Michigan State. And then my top 10, I moved Coastal Carolina up to the top 10, even though they really haven't played anybody, and I don't think they're going to get much higher. I, I think they've done everything that's been asked of them, so they deserve a spot in the top 10 here. Um, number nine, BYU. Number eight, Oklahoma. I know one person on this podcast disagrees, but they keep winning. Um, number seven, Michigan. Number six, Ohio State, the top one-loss team. I thought they looked really, really good against Rutgers and uh, kind of worked their way back up into the discussion here. Number five, Cincinnati. And then my top four is the exact same as the AP pool. Four, Penn State. Three, Iowa. Two, Georgia. And I have Bama at number one. But um, Bama and Georgia, I, it's, to me, it's really one and one A. I don't think there's much of a difference to me between the two of them i can see why georgia would be at the top but i i couldn't really move bama whenever they dominated Ole miss it was really 42 to 7 before a couple late scores so i didn't think they did anything to fall from number one so that's mine good stuff there Devin. i don't agree with all of it but i respect it as always zach go ahead and run us down all right so i've got i've got smu at 25 uh i've got stanford at 24 so one one theme that I I'll try to make this quick, but one theme I have for my rankings is I I value I value big wins, even if they come at the mercy of a resume that also has more losses than maybe it should or has a has a bad loss. I, I would rather see a team with a big win and a loss they shouldn't have had than five and zero oh and hasn't played anybody. So just kind of keep that in mind as I run through. I've got so SMU at twenty five, Stanford at twenty four. 
I've got NC State at 23. I've got Florida at 22. I've got Coastal Carolina at 21. Um, and and I, I don't – I respect Devin's point on Coastal Carolina, but I think there are 10, maybe 11 teams in the Big Ten that would be 5-0 five, five with their schedule. I think there's probably 40 – 30 to 40 teams in the in the Power 5 that would be 5 and 0 with their schedule. I've got Wake Forest at 20. So why aren't they ranked 40th then? Cuz I, I want to give them some respect. <laughs> All right. I'm just messing. <laughs> well, yeah. here, here's a case in point. I think Wisconsin and Indiana who are two teams that started in the top 25 that no one would have anywhere near the top 25 at the moment would each have five blowout victories with that schedule would be 5 and 0 and would probably be in the top 10 right now. So, but I, I'm a big fan of the cha- the Chanticleers. Uh, you know, I, I I really wish that kid well from the commercials. I, I it's it's tough when you you know your dad wants you to go somewhere and you go at, go to another school. But <laughs> so anyway, getting back on track, I've got Wake Forest at 20. They're a bit of a maybe a bit of a outlier to my theory because they really haven't played anyone. They they are three and zero in the ACC. None of those three teams are world beaters, but they're off to a good start and have played a bunch of conference games. So that's if you're a Wake fan, they're that you know that's a good that's a good thing because um, it's wide open this year. Frankly, both divisions are wide open. You've got I've got Arizona State at 19. I think they've got a couple good wins in the Pac-12. Uh, just beat UCLA, and they their only loss is to BYU. So you can't really punish them for being four and one instead of five and zero because they have a very good loss. I've got Texas at 18. I think this is a team that has a chance to keep climbing. Uh, they got Oklahoma this week. I've got Ole Miss 17, Auburn climbing to 16 with a big win. I've got Notre Dame falling to 15. I've got Arkansas at 14. I've got Michigan State at 13. I'm perhaps not quite as high as the rest on Sparty just because uh, if you really look at it, um, they haven't they haven't beaten anybody that you can write home about. You've got you got the road win at Miami, which you know, Miami sucks, but a road win anywhere is it's hard to win on the road. They've got Big Ten wins over Northwestern and Nebraska, so they haven't quite hit the meat of their schedule yet. We're going to find out about Michigan State. They're, you know, they're going to have the the Penn State game, the Michigan game, the Ohio State game. They they've got everything in front of them still. I've got Oklahoma State at twelve, uh, another undefeated team that prior to the Baylor game hadn't really played anybody, but but a good win over a, a, a undefeated Baylor. Kind of an underrated game last week, I think, the Oklahoma State-Baylor game, but Oklahoma State came out on top. I've got Kentucky at 11. Um, they were another undefeated team that had nothing on their resume, and then they, they beat Florida. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a pretty significant jump for having a big win. And then for the top 10, I've got BYU at 10. I've got Oklahoma at 9. I've got Oregon at 8. Uh, again, I, I, I went back and forth what to do with Oregon, but getting back to my theory of, I'm not going to punish them too much for a bad loss because they've got a huge, huge win on the resume that, frankly, a lot of the teams around them just do not have anything of the caliber of a win in Columbus. So you kind of have to balance those things out, I think. I've got Michigan at seven. I've got Ohio State at six. I think both of those teams are rolling, and I think um, you saw it this past weekend with Ohio State just blowing the doors off of a Rutgers team that just gave Michigan everything everything they wanted in Ann Arbor. So for me, that was, as I went back and forth, that that's how I ended up with Ohio State over Michigan. But I think it's really close there. I've got Cincinnati 5, Penn State 4, Iowa 3, Alabama 2, and I've got Georgia at number 1 for the reasons I talked about earlier. 
yeah. really good stuff there. Um, I'll just go ahead and start with mine then because it's vastly different than yours and we can kind of banter it. And I mean, you gave all valid, valid reasons for your ranking. So um, mine are a little bit more off the cuff and off feeling. So uh, I let my personal biases get in the way a little bit. So, <laughs> so we're going to start uh, like Joe Klatt. I'll start with my last two who are out of the top 25 at number 27, I have Oklahoma. I think they're garbage, trash. They don't belong anywhere in the top 25. They've beaten nobody. They've been close in every single game they've played, basically. So I don't want them anywhere near my top 25. The writing them off for the season. Uh, 26, I got Old Miss. Uh, they personally embarrassed me this weekend. So uh, they're out. <laughs> um, 25, I got Maryland. Uh I think they are a good team. They just, it went bad very fast and they never recovered and they just tried to force the ball. I think a young quarterback, that can happen. Um, I still think they're top 25 team and I think they're going to have some wins down the road and maybe upset somebody big. So they still only have one loss and it's to a team I have ranked pretty highly in my my poll. So 24, I got Stanford. Uh, obviously they took care of Oregon. That they're a pretty solid team. 23, I still have Baylor. I think Oklahoma State is a very good team, actually. I watched that most of that game. Uh, I still think Baylor is a top 25 team. 22, I got Appalachian State coming in. Uh, 21, San Diego State. 20, I have NC State. Um, I still think NC State could be a very good team here. No. <laughs> Yeah, that may be uh, my old ways of following Michigan football coming out a little bit with the Brady Hoke at uh, San Diego State. Though they are rolling and they are undefeated, so their schedule it has left something nobody. to be desired. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but I probably with, had them at twenty six. Uh, I agree. One thing to note was Fresno State going out of the top twenty five with the loss to Hawaii, which was a shocker in in their conference. I think yeah. that that might with that loss that might put San Diego State in the driver's seat in the Mountain West. That's what I'm saying. So I think uh, San Diego State just I think they're a top twenty five team. Uh, we'll see when they start playing those Mountain West opponents a little bit uh, or in a little bit. Um, where was I here? Uh, Nineteen Arizona State. Uh, don't really have too much on them, but I still think they belong in the top twenty five, and they've been rolling lately. 18, I have Texas. Texas has that one loss to Arkansas, but I think they're going to go beat the brakes off Oklahoma this weekend, so I'm very excited for that. And I don't like tech Texas. Do we all have Do we all have Texas at 18? Yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> and I, I had Arizona State at 19, and I think Jordo does as well. Yes, I do. So uh, 17, I have Arkansas, another team who embarrassed me this weekend. But Arkansas at least has some quality wins on their resume, unlike Old Miss. Um, and they beat Texas, so I have them above Texas. 16, I have Auburn. Big win against LSU. They have some bigger questions. Uh, obviously, they played Georgia this weekend, so we'll we'll see how they fare. But I'm keeping them at 16. I think that's around where they probably are as of right now. Uh, can't let them off scotch-free for the Georgia State game. Like you got to take care of business there. I don't care if you just played Penn State or whatever and you bench your quarterback like Gotta you gotta beat Georgia State by more than that. So gonna hold them accountable a little bit. Fifteen, I have SMU. 
Pony Express rolling up in in the 15. 14, I have undefeated Coastal Carolina, who I believe hasn't lost a game in two years now. Well, oh, a year and a half, I guess. Um. Oh, yeah, true. I got to I gotta stop contradicting myself. <laughs> Can't count for some people <laughs> and not for us. Uh, 13, I have Ohio State. Yes, Ohio State had uh, a good win against Rutgers. But I, I really think Rutgers always plays Michigan a lot harder than typical. I've seen Rutgers take Michigan down to the wire before. So um, Ohio State took care of business, but I don't like Ohio State. So I'm going to keep them at 13. 12, I have Oregon. They beat Ohio State. Yeah, they lost. But I still think they're a good team. I think they just, you know, playing those noon Pac-12 games probably got to them. So... I still think they they belong in the top 12. Number 11, I got undefeated Wake Forest. They're coming, screaming up the top here. I think they're going to win the ACC. So go Demon Deacons there. 10, I have Oklahoma State after they beat Baylor. I think they might be a real team, and they could possibly win the Big 12. Number 9, uh, I realize I've been a little dyslexic in the past few episodes and saying... Kentucky as KU instead of UK. So that was brought to my attention uh, quite politely today. Um, so I have Kentucky up there at number nine. And then we have eight Michigan State, seven BYU, six Cincinnati. And my top five is probably going to surprise some people. I got Michigan at number five, four Penn State, three Bama, two Iowa, and number one Georgia. And the reason I have Iowa at two is I think anybody in the top 10, Iowa could be. And I really do think I, Iowa would give Bama a hard time. Um, I think their defense and special teams has been playing phenomenally. And to be honest, I haven't been very impressed with Alabama. And I just don't like them. So I'm putting Iowa too. That's all I got. Not quite as crazy as I, as yeah, I perhaps expected. but um... I mean, it's rationally crazy. well it's just we're still at that stage yet where most teams have maybe one or two data points that we can point to and really say we know something about them um so i think now that we're now that have started to really hit the the conference game phase of the schedules we're going to start to learn more about every team every week and it's there's going to be some things that we can kind of point to and, and and be a little bit more certain about some of these teams Yeah, I, I mean, I think not having Oklahoma in the top 25 is obviously the biggest standout. And then Wake Forest and Kentucky being number 11 and 9, respectively. Um, Wake Forest is trash, so no comment on that. Ouch. <laughs> I, I respect your opinion, but... It's the ACC. They've also beat nobody in the ACC. I know they're 3-0, and but who did they beat? Nobody. State, Louisville, and... Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. Louisville's almost in the top 25. Yeah, Lu- Louisville's almost the top 25. Aren't they one and four? <laughs> Baby. <laughs> little, bonus, right. little bonus trivia question <laughs> for the boys today. What, what school produced two quarterbacks that were playing against each other in the NFL today? Starting against each other. Oklahoma. No. 
Yes. Well, no. unless the Browns were playing. No. No. It's not the one I was thinking of. Hmm. Well, let's let's think through this. I didn't. So, I don't really watch the NFL. Not gonna lie. Uh, it's not the. It wasn't the Browns Vikings game. It wasn't. Uh, Clock's ticking here. We can't just run through all of the games. <laughs> run through every single game. All right. Well, give me a conference. Uh, a conference we just destroyed. Oh, so the ACC. <laughs> uh, so it. Oh, did they Boston play today? College? Or an NFL game today? Both both teams' starting quarterback was from the same school, not Boston College. You think that there's somebody else out there other than no? Ryan I couldn't. That went to... I couldn't name um, more than probably ten starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now, so it's not a good sign. Is it Clemson? It is not. Oh, it's NC State. Nope. Louisville. It's Louisville. Because of uh, the Ravens played somebody. Today. Ravens, Ravens, Broncos. Yeah. Lamar Jackson and Theodore Bridgewater. Wild. Oh, when the ACC was decent. I didn't notice they? I didn't say good. I said decent. Yeah. Yeah, they beat they beat Florida, didn't they, in that one bowl game? They it, you got to you got to <laughs> yeah, keep in mind too in the in the Lamar Jackson and Bridgewater eras you had a you had a Florida State that was actually a power. Um, you had you had Clemson and Florida State make had some really entertaining games there for a stretch. Two two powers. You had Louisville that was pretty solid. Um, the ACT has always struggled with having teams after the top two or three, and now the problem is they don't have the top two or three, and they still don't have like the middle of the conference. Yeah, it, it's like the Pac-12 without Oregon. Yep. <laughs> so well that's all i got for tonight we're right around the hour mark so i think it's a good time to sign off i'm ready for bed it was a long weekend a lot of good games uh we'll be back on either thursday or friday for the iowa penn state preview and the rest of the top 25 preview so thanks for watching that's all i got you guys have anything else before we sign off all right that's all I got from the Nittany No Huddle. I'll see you guys next time.